the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hey, friends, welcome to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us on this Wednesday, this hump day. Aubrey, how are you today? How am I on this hump day? I'm grand. The sun is out, and uh, it's good to be alive. I like that you answer grand, even when I know you're not. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, sometimes my grand is a sarcastic grand, but uh, only some people know that. (laughs) I would like everyone else to think I'm grand. Well, speaking of things that put us in the bad moods these days... Gas prices. Oh, gas prices. So uh, as was predicted this week, uh, they continue to go up. Yeah, they do. Yesterday it was like 480 something. It'll easily be five by by the weekend. Uh, But it's even gone up, you know, 20 cents in two days. And it's continuing to climb. Uh, And there's many reasons for this. But the main one is what's going on in the Ukraine and the boycotting of Russian oil. Uh, but there's other, you know, it's a little more complex than yeah. that and how the markets work yeah. and such. Uh, but let me ask you a personal question. Uh, how is this affecting you on a day-to-day basis? Is it just like, well, whatever, I've got to fill my gas tank yeah. and i got places to be yeah. and going to put it in our budget. It's how we go. Or is it actually affecting how you and Kevin work? Yeah, so it's impacting a couple of things. Thankfully, we're in a we're in a nice position to live close to at least where Kevin works. So He's been walking to work all week and we'll just keep doing that. Mm -hmm. We're able to do that. We will do that. Um, As far as like carpooling the kids to school, we've still been driving them. That probably won't change. Driving up here for the studio, Mm -hmm. that's not going to change. But we are trying to utilize, like I said, more my car than both of our cars. And then... I, I I think we're not going to do anything for spring break, honestly, just as a way to like, wow. we didn't have any big plans. So it's not like we're canceling these big plans, but just, man, anywhere we want to go is going to be so expensive. I think we'll just stay put this year and see what happens in the summer if the gas prices change at that point. Yeah. interest. That's an interesting. You're the first person I've heard say that. Uh, my family is going on a driving trip over spring break. <laughs> <laughs> and, to Nashville, right? Yeah, that's right. And we planned it before gas prices yeah. went crazy, but you just have to kind of say, you yeah. either go or we don't. Right, right. And, right. I do feel like it is accentuated. We have a third driver in the house. Uh, it's just accentuated That's how big, much we right? drive. Yeah. And it's it's really hard. And, you know, you do have to make choices in the budget. Now, uh, Aubrey, everything we're hearing is that a lot of this has to do with the U.S. To, uh, banning oil imports from Russia. Um, so uh, this is a sensitive question. More frustration over gas prices or more this is the this is what we can do to aid the effort. I mean, this is what we can yeah, do. Does that, that ever enter your mind? You know, it had it until just now. And that's actually gives me some helpful perspective on it, because I think, OK, if I can, like, take one for the global team, like if I can take one for the Ukrainian people who are actually being slaughtered mm. uh, by paying more for gas I will do that. Like, Mm -hmm. if that's what it takes to help them, I will do that. And that's that. I don't know. That's that feels like a very small sacrifice when you put it in that that type of light. Yeah, I'm not saying it's not painful Painful. on the budget and we're going to have to sacrifice other things. Certainly, like, you know, 
that said, if it okay, if it helps, then let's do it. You know, I'm trying to make myself believe that. Yeah, yeah. Now, I, and also the frustration for me again. These are more geopolitical issues, but there are things we can be doing uh, that that people are are choosing in the government not to yeah. do in order to open up some more. That's but, true. That's true. You know, Good it point. is what it is. I I would prefer them to to say, okay, we're going to take some other measures, you know, places where we've turned the spigot off. We're going to turn it on right now in order to do this. But now what about you, Brian? Besides, I mean, obviously you're still going on the spring break trip and obviously you feel a sense of frustration. You got three drivers, but are there things you guys will be doing differently just to be able to even afford gas? Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, we have a monthly budget that we stick to and it's got to come from somewhere, right? So maybe less eating out, maybe, you know, uh, one less trip to the grocery store. Yeah. I mean, you got to rob Peter to pay Paul somehow. Uh, And so, uh, you know, our budget, the way it works, there's a finite amount of money. And here we go. The hard part is we live in the suburbs, right? Like. My son's, it's a driving community. My son's yeah. baseball practice is a half hour away. Yeah. We carpool, but you got to do the driving sometimes. Yep. My daughter plays volleyball 15 minutes away. Yep. School is it, and church is this, and you just have to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, no, it is with the budget. You know, something that has struck me as we've watched this is uh, the flippancy. Some people talk about it, and I, that's what's bothered me, like on social media or uh, reading this article, Stephen Colbert <clears throat> said he'd be willing to pay $15 a gallon for the Ukraine, but then he joked, I have an electric car. Oh. There seems to be a little bit of a tone deafness, right? Kamala yeah. Harris and Pete Buttigieg did a, uh, did a press conference the other day in which they encouraged people to, this is now the time to go get electric cars. And you're like, do we not know how much electric cars cost? I was literally just about to say, it. I think there's some truth in the future as electric Maybe. cars become more affordable yeah. and we're able to, but like, you can't just go buy an electric car unless you're in a certain category of population Amen. financially, and that's not the average person. No, there seems to be a tone deafness. Yeah, that's or ridiculous. Or just the regular social media tone deafness. I saw a tw- somebody tweeted yesterday, uh, Starbucks costs $12 a gallon, and we don't. And I'm like, who oh, buys come, a gallon of Starbucks? You know, and to on. do my car, I got to do 15 gallons versus this. So the flippancy, talk to me about that. Sometimes people just need to keep their mouths closed and like not be so flippant and not realize, hey, there are real people really hurting. Like, I get it. We want to support the Ukrainians. We want to do this. Let's not minimize the real pain that real people are feeling. And it's times like these where people... You can really see who's out of touch yeah. with, with what this does to actual yeah, budgets. Yeah, it's like a weird... I feel like this happens a lot in debate, and I'm sure there's a term for it that I just don't know, but where, like, Brian, if you were to say, like, man, I'm really frustrated about the weather outside, and I'd be like... Well, the weather in Alaska, like it's like, yeah. well, wait, we were talking about the weather in Alaska. Right. We're ta- are you? Well, the basketball players in California aren't complaining about the weather outside. Well, we weren't talking about the basketball players right. in California. We're talking about the. It's it's this. I don't understand what that is in rhetoric, but like, just stay on topic. Like, we're not talking about paying fifteen dollars for Starbucks. We're saying gas prices are going up. That's complicated. That's hard on our budgets. Those of us like we do too, Brian. We have an amount budgeted for gas every month when that line item is gone we got to take it from someplace else and that is the majority of the world by the way who can even afford gas so Mm -hmm. like it's okay to say this is complicated and hard and frustrating and not have to like negate the frustration and the pain that this might cause people people do that like let's just go this is hard for everyone yes this is hard for everybody and this is where our politicians seem to be really out of touch when they 
you know, kind of say thing. But like they've been doing this late night host, just like I said, Stephen yeah. Colbert. Do you like, remember oh. on Saturday Night Live? I think it was a Kristen Wiig character. She was like a one upper. So somebody would say somebody say something like, that. I have a, a cold. And she'd be like, well, I've had a cold for three months. Yes, or, you know, whatever it is. So like, I feel like this. That's it. It's the it's the one upping. That you know, it. come and on, so people. Show comp- empathy. There's your right word. I was going to use compassion. Show empathy. empathy. Come on. We understand this is what we can do for what's going on in the other side yeah. of the world. And they're going through stuff that is 10,000 times worse than mm-hmm. we are, but it doesn't mean you have to say, hey, you shouldn't worry about that. This is hurting people in their real pocketbooks. Yeah, and so do people carry pocketbooks anymore? My, oh, good question. Do, do you carry a pocketbook? No, I carry a wallet. I carry a wallet as well. Maybe I, that's the same thing. I do want to make a really short mention. I want to highlight a, a, uh, a passing, a death. The guy was 92 years old. Charles Entenmann. Do you I recognize Entenmann's? I do, and I saw this, and this is very sad. I grew up on Entenmann's. I love Entenmann's. Aww. They're out of New York, out of Brooklyn. Like, yeah. I can, my my parents, my grandmother, I would yeah. call her nanny. There were, Entenmann's was always the crumb cake of Entenmann's. Yeah. And so just reading that, I, I could Aww. almost taste it in my mouth. So, Aww. Charles Entenmann. Charles, R.I.P. Yeah. 92 years 92. old. That's a good life. That's he's a good life. He's enjoying the crumb cakes of heaven right now. That's hopefully <laughs> he's enjoying. But I, I think I'm going to go enjoy an Entenmann's crumb in cake his honor. today. In his honor. I like that. I like uh, that. For, for because of my love for it. So Entenmann's, yes, there you go. Well, coming up next, Aubrey, we are really excited to be joined by a pastor friend of mine from Downers Grove uh, from the Christian Worship Center. His name is Peter Kucher, and Peter is born and raised in the Ukraine, has family over in the Ukraine. He's wow. raising money to try to help people. Cool. Back in the Ukraine. So we're going to talk to somebody who really knows what's going on over there. We're going to do that next year on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, hope for your life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. And Aubrey, we've been talking a lot, uh, including earlier today, about all that's going on in the Ukraine right, and just right. trying to get our arms around it. Like, what is happening? And there's actually a pastor in my town where I live in Downers Grove, who I've gotten to know pretty well over the last couple months. He's the lead pastor of the Christian Worship Center. Uh, his name is Peter Kucher, and Peter has a deep connections over to the Ukraine. So I thought we'd give him a call mm. uh, and talk to him. Peter, how are you doing today, friend? I'm doing good, Brian. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. And let's just start there, Peter. Tell us your connections to the Ukraine uh, family and your own personal connections. Uh, so, yes, I was born in Ukraine uh, and lived there till I was 17 uh, before I moved uh, to uh, Canada and to U.S. here. Um, I still have family there. My sister and her husband, they're pastoring uh, a church in Kiev, and um, he's one of the leaders of the denomination Assemblies of God in Ukraine. So, uh, yeah, we still have family. Uh, we still have strong connections mm. there, and uh, our church is not a Ukrainian church. We have only probably about 10% of people from Ukraine, but since all of this happened, it's just been very heavy in our hearts. Yeah. yeah. And, and Pastor Peter, I'm, you know, I guess I'm going to ask you to go to some of those heavy places emotionally, so I hope that's okay, but can you talk about how your family is doing, how you're feeling as you're watching all of this unfold right now? I imagine it's deeply painful. Uh, it is. It is. It's uh, my family in Ukraine. They're, they're, you know, they thankfully were able to escape. They stayed in Kiev as long as they could. And uh, then they um, moved west to my hometown. Actually, where I was born in Lutsk, which is only 40 miles from the border with Poland. Um, they're, they're, they don't want to leave the country. They're mm-hmm. currently... 
um, evacuating refugees, and that's why they're mobilizing. Um, they're my brother-in-law. He's mobilizing churches to turn them into shelters, soup kitchens, temporary housing places, and um, our church got involved in uh, trying to help that. And it's been heart wrenching. It's been heart wrenching to watch it, to uh, to see country torn apart, and it's disbelief. Just amazing disbelief that it could happen like this in our times. Yeah, it's unbelievable to watch. I can't imagine having those ties back there. And, and in a couple minutes, we're going to talk about how people can join you uh, in helping the church. But help us understand both now and even before this uh, invasion from Russians happened. Talk to us about the Church of the Ukraine. H- help us understand, is it a strong church? What's God doing in the Ukraine? So Ukraine is probably the most uh, Christian, I speak like evangelical Christian country in Europe. And it also has the most religious freedom of really any of the countries in, in the former Soviet republics and even in Europe. So um, it was a, it has a pretty high percentage of evangelical believers and uh, church is really, um, really strong there. And that's why like, I see this conflict even through the eyes of spiritual warfare. I mean, devil would really love to stop uh, churches in Russia currently. They've been planted by Ukrainian pastors and missionaries uh, for decades already. So... Um, it's, you know, a lot of believers are praying, a lot of churches are praying, they're helping, um, and uh, it's a very Christian country, it's mm. um, God-loving, freedom-loving country, that's wow. why it's so hard-ranging to see it, because um, they will not give up, and uh, it'll be a lot of pain in days to come before we can get yeah. better. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, Pastor Peter, just thinking about the fact that there is so much spiritual warfare uh, going on in this, can you encourage our listeners how to pray for Ukraine? Because that's something Brian and I have been talking about, and I think sometimes people just don't even know how to pray, what to pray. Uh, can you sort of pastor us through that? Um, I think one of the best ways to pray, starting with just protection for people of Ukraine, mm-hmm. uh, and um a lot of refugees are fleeing daily. Um, there's been a lot of testimonies of actually answered prayers. I was talking to my sister daily there in Ukraine. and uh, I mean, stories of bombs falling and not exploding and uh, stories of just these, you know, Russian military equipment failing as they cross the border and uh, stories of uh, literally, the, the you know, on the south end of the front where by Odessa, by Black Sea, there's been such a strong, unusual storm that happening for a week already that they, you know, Russian um, Marines weren't able to land. So prayer works and prayer helps. You know, the way we pray is, again, praying for protection of people of Ukraine, protection of believers, protection of everybody there. Uh, we pray that God will stop this demonic agenda of the enemy because we, we do believe it's demonic. And uh, he'll cause division in the army of, you know, this attacker of Russian people. And, um, you know, Russian people are not the enemy here. Unfortunately, they live under dictator who um, kind of dictates their own will. They have very little say in that country. But we're praying that God will rise up even in Russia, godly leadership, godly people who will rise up and stand against this evil. Oh, man. Mm. Uh, and Peter, a lot of us have been watching. We're unaware of your of the Ukrainian president, President Zelensky, before all of this happened uh, for a lot of us. And he's been so impressive. He uh, really strong leadership. I, I wonder I, this might be a strange question with all that's going on there. But as someone from the Ukraine, what's your level of pride right now in your home country, the way your your leadership has led, but also the way people have just risen up and kind of stood their ground? Talk to us about just the level of pride you feel for your home country. 
Uh, see, Brian, like for many years, I haven't really even identified myself as Ukrainian much just because, mm-hmm. you know, we mostly lived here and grew up here. But yeah. And I haven't followed the news much until everything started happening here. Yeah. But it's, you know, I was talking to my wife the other day. It feels there's something that's been kind of waking in my heart. <laughs> yeah. Uh, a pride for my country and my people and uh, um, things that were suppressed for a long time under Soviet regime. You know, people are awakened to freedom and awakened to uh, just really true identity. I mean, Ukrainians throughout generations and centuries, they've been oppressed, but they've been fighting for freedom really for hundreds of years. Mm-hmm. So, yes, it's there's a kind of deep sense of pride for, for people and uh, yeah, yeah, I, I can imagine. And Peter, as we close, we're really appreciative of you, man. Uh, people can give you raising money uh, to send back to help. People can go to cwclife.com. That's a Christian worship center where you lead pastors, cwclife.com. And there's a banner that you can give to the, the money will go towards Ukraine. Help people understand if they give, what are you doing with the money? How is it actually helping people help people understand that? Uh, we are sending money literally weekly there, and uh, we pledge to my church that we 100% of everything that's raised going straight there. We even paying for wiring fees, everything. We're not keeping anything at all. Um, currently, we send already over 10K. We bought two used minivans, and we are fueling the vans. They're literally going back and forth 24-7 from uh, conflict zones to just Western parts of Ukraine, the churches dropping off refugees. And these are not even just believers. They're mostly general population right mm. now. So we're fueling those vans. We are providing, uh, buying food. Um, some of the families that are staying, they literally, their stores have been run empty. Supply is really disrupted. So they're buying livestock from people, butchering it just to have food for these refugees that are coming. Uh, most people who stay have families that are staying with them, just strangers, refugees. So, mm. It's providing fuel, providing food. Um, We're also trying to buy another minivan to um, so we can be more efficient in rescuing these people. That's great work, great. man. Again, let me encourage you to go to cwclife.com. That's cwclife.com. That's the, the website for Peter's Church. But there you're going to see a banner that you can click on that will support the people of Ukraine. And as Peter said, all the money, 100% is being given to support people. Peter, I I really appreciate you coming on, man. I know this was last minute. I appreciate you doing it. Thanks for doing it. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your concern and supporting your prayers. Absolutely. You're listening to The Common Good. AIM 1160, hope for your life. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good, AIM 1160, hope for your life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us today. And Aubrey, you and I both have kids. Uh, we kind of try to keep up with stuff. And, and but laying our political cards on the table, I think I would describe myself as a conservative, but not a crazy, really, I don't <laughs> not mean crazy, crazy as a people. I mean really far right wing conservative. Right. Yeah, yeah. You're probably a little more centrist, a little more progressive I than I am. I definitely am probably moderate to left of moderate, but not all the way far left because I'm very pro-life. Like, like there are certain things that are... right of center, left of moderate. <laughs> like we're going to keep tagging I, you I, in there. I like to think of myself as moderate, but doesn't everybody? Let's be honest. So every now and then I read stuff that's going on culturally in the political world on both ends of the spectrum. And here's what I think to myself. I go, am I losing my mind? Mm. Like, am I going crazy? And that is what's going on right now with a bill out of Florida that I'd like to talk about. Uh, It is formally called the Parental Rights in Education Bill, but the critics have called it the Don't Say Gay Bill. 
And so it is this huge deal. It just passed in Florida. And uh, when you hear it, you start to hear that there are people proposing large scale um, like protests and uh, don't go to Florida, like all uh, boycotts. There's the word I'm looking for in Florida. Don't go to Florida. And you're just like, man, this bill must be the worst thing ever. Right. Yeah. Because Ron DeSantis, he's the governor of Florida. Yeah. He's very right wing. Yeah. All yeah. of this stuff. So you're like, oh, is this just going to be a really painful bill? And let me give you some of the background, Aubrey, because then I did a little bit of research in this and I went thought to myself. I don't know what the uproar is about it and what does this say about us culturally. So let me just read a little bit. Uh, It says Florida lawmakers on Tuesday passed a bill dubbed by critics that don't say gay bill restricting speech in public class, uh, public school classrooms on sexual orientation and gender identity. Uh, And so the legislation titled parental rights and education now heads to the desk of the governor. Here, here we go. Ready? Ready? What has caused the most contention is one section of the bill. So this is, for everything in the bill, this is what is causing the most con- uh, contention. Okay. It prohibits public school teachers from, quote, instruction about sexual orientation and gender identity in kindergarten to third grade, though it's already not taught in those grades, and it limits it to, quote, age-appropriate in other grades. The bill, however, does not provide a bright line between classroom instruction and classroom discussion, which the bill's supporters says it will not prevent. The proposal also prohibits schools from withholding information from parents about a student's, quote, mental, emotional, or physical health, and parents can sue a school district for violations under Mm. legislation. Mm. Aubrey, yeah. kindergarten to th- like, here's what I'm, I'm reading yes. this going. OK, I know what you're going to say. Keep going. This bill right now is causing widespread. I'm talking widespread walkouts. Uh, it's causing, like I said, threats of boycott. It's got a name now called the don't say gay bill. And I'm reading this going. How can anybody have a problem with us saying we don't want things I don't want sexual things talked about with my kindergarten to third grader Absol- in school. It doesn't mean I won't not. have uh, age appropriate conversations yes. in my home. Yeah. But I don't want I don't want homosexual, heterosexual, sexual Absolutely. identity, Absolutely. transgender. I don't want any of it talked about from kindergarten nope. to third grade. Nope. And quite frankly, I want to have a say in the older grades of what's going on. And yes. then when you tell me. One of the controversial parts is that I, as a parent, can Can. be notified when my kid is having mental, emotional, or Mm. physical health issues, Mm. and that's causing problems. My mind about exploded. I'm like, am I somehow missing something here? How is this where we are that this is at all a big deal that's debated? I'm telling you, the world is going crazy when it comes to this this (laughs) sexual identity stuff. And look, I know I personally have a lot to learn. And so I want to say that under the umbrella of like, I have a lot to learn. But, Brian, adults can barely handle this right. and barely have these conversations in a way that makes sense, in a way that's honoring, in a way that's safe, in a way that's good and healthy and godly. Adults can barely do that. It is not appropriate for our little ones. It's mm-hmm. just they should not. They are not sexually active. They are not sexually awakened. They are not sexually uh, mature enough. And right. honestly, to me, it's like, well, are we getting towards abusing our kids mm. by exposing them to things that in their preciousness and in their youth, they should not be exposed to yet. And like you said, I'm not just, I mean, heterosexual sex too. Like we should not be talking about sex or sexual identity 
sexual attraction with little kids. Especially in school. Like, if yeah. there's questions within your home that come up, well, obviously, that's your home. Yes. That's your home. Yes. I, I do want to wrestle with here. You and I were both youth pastors back in the day. I remember debating in my own mind and with our pastor. You'd always kind of do the purity talks and the sex yeah. talks. And you and I have talked a lot about this. Uh, when it comes to youth ministry, but we used to debate whether it was appropriate to even touch on it in junior high. Should we even be talking about it in junior high? Right. We, we often right. landed on let's right. wait till high school. And you what? always got parental permission when you did those always weekends. They the had email. to sign the thing. This always. is what we're going to be talking about. Always. What yeah. do you believe is, you touched on it, but what is going on here in your mind for this push for younger and younger and younger? Like for me, I know that like the like the headline of this is sexual orientation and gender gender yeah. identity. Yeah. For me, the headline is kindergarten to third grade. Yeah. Why do you think culturally there's this push to go younger and younger and younger? Um, I mean, I haven't given this much thought, except mm-hmm. I do. Th- I um, this may make me sound a little woo woo. OK, mm-hmm. so, so let me hear. I, I do believe there's spiritual warfare, especially mm-hmm. around sexuality, because I believe that there are like. Quote unquote, I'm using this a little bit facetiously, but like sex gods in control, trying to get our power, trying to get our heart, trying to get our attention. And so those powers that be, let me just use that language, the powers that be that want to increase like sexual freedom and everything's wonderful under the sun. And we can't even think about this are going to go younger and younger and younger in my mind to captivate the hearts and even to brainwash the hearts of kids. I also think what we're, what we're towing the line in a really unsafe way, we're no longer allowing our children to be children. And I don't like that. Like stealing their innocence and, and, and opening their eyes up to things before they're developmentally and emotionally ready is not okay. And to be frank, this whole gender identity conversation our brains are not developed until years later. And so we cannot be putting this on little kids when they're not when they're not even thinking about yeah, that. stuff. Yeah, I, I like my I, my youngest daughter is in seventh grade. And I'm like, when do we have these? Yeah. Like, you're just, you really struggle with these things. Um, uh, Aubrey, I've talked you and I've talked off the air a lot about schools. Like I'm a public school person. My, I mean, my all of our kids are in public, public school. school. We yeah. went through. These are the types of things that make me go, okay, I this is a bridge too far. Yeah. Like I can't yeah. I can't in good conscience tell people, don't worry. Right. It's all good. No, worry now. Yeah. Like, and that yeah. saddens me. Yeah. That really saddens me. I had great public schools growing up. I've been happy with my kids' public elementary school education. But as this stuff starts going in more and more, and it's all slowly, it's kind of this like little drip. Yeah. But when you start talking about what we're going to talk about sexuality with kindergarten mm-hmm. to third grader, fourth, fifth, sixth that graders. I'm sorry. I, yeah. I do. I start. I'm getting to the point where as a pastor, I feel like I do need to start telling people. Yeah. I understand if you need to tap out. Yeah, this is it this is not be, this safe is anymore. mission field. Totally. Now it's like I do get it. It might be time yeah. to tap out. It's something my family has wrestled with. I know uh, a lot of families are wrestling with and I'm really worried for our children. Uh, the way this is going. I think, too, because Kevin and I have been talking a lot, actually, with a a group of people about kind of the gender identity conversation because we want to learn more. We Mm -hmm. uh, Part of it is Kevin are like, we don't know these categories. This is new for us. We don't know. So just help us so that we can minister and pastor well. But I still don't. As Christians, we are allowed to have a sexual ethic and Mm -hmm. not feel apologetic about it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what I keep coming back to. Like, like I want I want the Lord 
to define my sexual ethic for myself, for my family, for my church, Amen. not the cultures that be. And and I also don't want to feel apologetic that I have convictions around sexual ethic and that and that the church has for 500, yeah. I mean, more than 500 years. Like, historically, we've had a sexual ethic. And now to feel like we have to apologize for that, it's... I don't know, Brian. It, it's no, a weird. It's a weird. Right. It's a weird day and age. I, that makes me sound old, but that's not at it. all. As an adult, you're right. And I think one of the takeaways from this too is you put it perfectly. Why have we stopped letting our kids be kids? Yeah, like I don't like that. We do not let our kids be kids. There's still things that are appropriate and not appropriate yes. for our kids. And the removal of parents from all of these conversations, whether it be physical, and mental, and emotional health of our kids or sexuality is is sinful it's it's demonic and it's dangerous and crazy and we need to stand up against it so uh that's what's going on down in florida right now i'd encourage you to go check it out all right aubrey you and i we go to lots of well we used to go to lots of conferences there's something that uh, you and i started talking about the other day that bothers us about Mm -hmm. church conferences that we're gonna discuss we're gonna do that next year in the common good aim 1160 hope for your life friends, welcome back to The Common Good. AIM 1160, hope for your life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian From All right, Aubrey, you and I have talked every show. We discuss the fact that you and I are both pastors. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and you have another part to your life. Uh, you know, we're both pastors. We're both radio hosts. You're an author. Mm-hmm. And as an author, you become a speaker. Yeah. Well, I guess not all authors are speakers. Not all speakers are authors. Right. But oftentimes your books oftentimes, open the door. Yes, exactly. Uh, they go and, hand in hand. Correct. Correct. And so you do a lot of speaking on what can we call it the conference circuit? Yeah, I would I would say that's true. And I speak at churches and events, things yes. like that. Yeah. But also, uh, you and I have uh, been to many conferences in our lifetimes. So I remember being a youth pastor. You know, you'd go to the Willow Creek Youth Ministry Conference or you'd go to whatever Absolutely. else. Absolutely, yes. I, I, once we started a church... Uh, I've been four or five times to the Exponential Conference Which down in Orlando. Which is happening right now in Orlando. I'm feeling all FOMO that I'm not there. I know. Here's what I don't like about conferences. So uh, any conference you go to, you sit there and the speaker will tell you things like, it doesn't matter how big your church is. It doesn't matter this. But I've never been to a conference where they're not main staging. Yeah. Only people whose churches are north of a thousand, two thousand, ten thousand people. Totally. And it be, feels really disingenuous totally. to hear from them. It doesn't matter how big your church is. Yeah. I remember, like I mentioned, the Willow Student Ministry Conference. You'd go there and they'd literally tell you, this is how we do student mm-hmm. ministry. And you'd go, I don't know how to make this connect. Yeah. Exponential, all of them. They, they all fall into this. Yeah. And I understand they need to sell tickets. Yes. But it feels like they're undercutting their own message. And here's, you go to a conference and you go, I'm a lesser pastor. My church is lesser Mm -hmm. because it's not, like they're the superstars. Yes. They're the ones who are doing it. They're God anointed. Is God's them. blessing them. And they're yeah. like, it's almost like patting the little kid on the head. Your church doesn't need to be big. And you are, and you sit there, you do leave yeah. there. That's why I love the breakout so much because you're actually yes. talking about practical stuff yes. with people. But you realize the vast majority of the people in this room are yeah. in churches of like 200 people or less, right. myself included. Right. But we're all striving to be that. What's it? It highlights, I think, what's wrong with this uh, perspective of the evangelical Yeah, I, I really wish you'd go to a conference and, and they'd be like, and now our next speaker, 
She is the pastor of a 200 person church <laughs>、yes. or, or, or a 50 person church、right. that's meeting in her home and it's so faithful and God is changing lives. You've never heard of her before, but we are going to hear from, and like everyone's cheering for、right. that pastor. But that's never the case. It's never the case. And you're right. There's some practicality. You got to sell tickets. So you got to bring in the big names.、Mm-hmm. I totally get that. There is something amazing about the person who's running the 10,000 person church. Yeah. But could that be balanced with also you and me or whoever just like faithfully serving the church in the small corner of their city? Because I, I agree. Whether or not it's intended to, and this is true of women's conferences as well. You sit at women's conferences and the speaker says, You don't have to have a book deal to serve God faithfully. You don't have to have a podcast to serve God faithfully. You just love your family well and disciple the girls that God has put in your life. That's right. Look, and I'm one doing all those things. I'm writing, I'm podcasting,、yeah. so I hear myself. But then you, you hear that from someone who's doing all those things, who has the, you know, four book deal and who has the,、right. the conference circuit and who has the podcast and the massive. Following of thousands and thousands of people, and you can kind of go, Well, that's easy for you to say,、yes. you know. And I'm not saying there weren't years when those folks weren't in the shadows doing ministry faithfully and never got seen, but like, what about the people who are still doing ministry in the shadows? And I,、yeah. why aren't we uplifting them? It sends a mixed message. I remember being at Exponential, and Andy Stanley got on stage. And he said, I, I, lo- I love that he at least owned it because everyone there is planting churches. And most of、yeah. us there are planting churches. Our church is like 100 people. Right, right? right. Andy Stanley got up and he said, I can't understand any of you. The first day that I started my church, we brought such a big team. There were 1,000 people there. I mean, <laughs> and so we're doing this. So,、right. how, okay,、uh, you and I both minister in churches that are quote unquote smaller、yeah. com- compared to these, right? Us in、yes. 95% of the country. Absolutely.、Right? You write and your books are very successful, but they're not New York Times bestseller list. They're、yep. not getting you on the main stage right, of these conferences.、Right. How don't you grow in jealousy? How do you live with contentment? <laughs>、like、what, what do we do? Oh, Brian. I mean, you're asking me because this is like the constant battle that the Lord is doing in my soul.、Mm-hmm. I mean, my, my, I mean, if you could see inside of the twisted thing that is my mind, you would see that all day long I'm like, <laughs> Lord, This is for you. This is not about me. But then why don't I have more book sales? <laughs> Lord, this, I'm just here to serve you. Humble me. I don't care about my name. I care about your name. But why can't I get picked for the. Like, it is the constant. So, I, for me, I have to keep surrendering it to the Lord and be like, you know what? Any success I have is your success.、Yeah. You're going to give it to me or not give it to me. And what even I think of as success in your kingdom is maybe not success.、Mm. I was even reading this morning in the book of Luke, Jesus bringing the little children to the disciples who are arguing over who's the greatest, which is what I'm doing in my head when I do that. Can I be greater than that that's speaker?、Right. And that's that's、so- right. Jesus saying, no, 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 come here. Come here. You want to know who the greatest is? This little kid, the、yeah. least of these.、Yeah. And so I'm like, you know, I, we've got it backwards in America, in the West, in Christianity. Somehow, the. I, I personally, I just have to keep surrendering and asking the Holy Spirit to transform me so、yeah. that I really do care more about his kingdom than my glory, my castle.、Right. This is celebrity culture that we talk about.、Yeah. And I love going to the conferences and hearing the big people. And、teachers. some of those people are my really good friends. So I'm for them.、If、I don't want to shoot I them down. If I went to like Exponential and they got the 200 person pastor from Kansas up there, I'd be like, what are we doing? Like, yeah, I don't have time for this.、It. Right. I understand why they do it. But I guess I'd want to, you and I have begun talking a lot about this. I just think that, that actually. The small church pastor is not the lesser pastor. I think some、mm. of us are just called the small. Like, that's what we're good、mm. at. And、uh, I think we have to wrestle with that as evangelicals. I have just an idea for you. 
go go just storm a stage at a conference. <laughs> yes, take Let's a mic. No, I think it's time to start the small church pastor conference, and you're the headliner, you Brian. And me. You yep, and me we both. Got it. I got we an got author. It. I got this. Yeah, We're we got what it. we need. Yep, you're listening to the Common Good AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Aubrey Sampson alongside my co-host, Brian Fromm. And one of the things that Brian and I talk about on this show quite a bit is suffering and grief and hardship. And how do you move forward? How do you find hope when you face something so, so painful and difficult? And with that in mind, we are thrilled to be joined by author, artist and speaker Danita Janae. She has a new book out called When Mountains Crumble, Rebuilding Your Life After Losing Someone You Love. Danita, thanks so much for being here with us today. Oh, I'm so happy to be here. Thanks Mm -hmm. for the invitation. Mm -hmm. Danita, we know that part of why you wrote this book is out of the pain of your own story. And so I think we'll just begin there. Can you tell us about your story and why you decided to write about it? Yeah, um, my story, we're a military family. Um, My husband had served for 19 years when we were about to make our last military move. Um, Prior to that, Final move, we had actually experienced a lot of suffering ourselves, um, a lot of health crises, mental health crises, all kinds of things. And so we'd really seen um, God bring us to our knees in prayer together. And then as we made our finally, final military move to Colorado, uh, my husband was an incredible adventurer and went hiking and um, essentially didn't come home. Mm. And so that is the day that, you know, it just, it felt like everything that I knew to be stable kind of on earth, right? Like fell apart. And, um, I just began to see that as a picture of how grief feels for all of us, you know, no matter how we lost our loved one, it feels like, okay, I was depending on this person as a rock. And Mm. now like the world just kind of fell out under me. Thanks for sharing that. That's mm-hmm. that's really hard. And, um, you know, I've, I've never lost somebody that close to me, um, but we've all experienced loss in one way or another. And I imagine you talk about in your book, it changes your relationship with God. It changes your relationship with family and friends, mm-hmm. but also with God. Uh, talk to us about how that kind of traumatic loss in your life affected your relationship with God. Oh, absolutely. Um, I think that, you know, the doubts, the huge emotions, the um, the why, why did this happen, why now, why here, all the questions, um, that's, that really affects your relationship with God, and you kind of have to sort out, you know, do I still believe he's still good, even though, like, mm-hmm. the worst tragedy is right in front of me, and so, yeah, I had to sort through those questions, and I noticed that that's typically kind of like this very small side note in grief literature. Mm. And I was like, for me, that's like the center, like that's the core, like, you know, I'm not just going to pretend that I'm okay with, with this God and like really being honest with him. So I give a lot of permission for people to follow that path. Mm, That's, that's so helpful for people who are walking through pain, Danita. I wonder, just in losing your husband, Dan, especially so soon, was there something about the grief process that you were unprepared for? I mean, I think in some ways we're all unprepared for grief, but was there something that stood out to you as like, oh, I did not expect this part of grief? Absolutely. I did not expect the physical ramifications of it. I didn't expect to be 
I literally felt like I had whiplash, like I was thrown from a truck the day mm. after the funeral. Mm. Uh, and I didn't expect how long that would last, that mm. feeling. Like when you have a baby, you're kind of, I was laid out for like two weeks after having a baby, but after losing my husband, it was like, you know, there's still days where I'm like, you know what? I don't know if I can get off this couch today. So mm. did not see that coming. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, Danita, what was helpful that other people did in your life, in your grief? Because we often talk, and I guess I'd also ask you what was unhelpful, because we want people to be able to care for their loved ones in grief. And we know sometimes when we try to care, we actually make things worse. So what what was helpful and what was not helpful? Yeah, I, I love that you asked that question because so many people want to enter in. They want to help you in their grief, but they don't know how. And honestly, I remember how helpless it felt the first time I found out a friend of mine had been widowed. Like, I was like, oh, my gosh, like, it kind of paralyzed me. And I wasn't even knowing living the story at the time. So um, that's actually why I created a free grief guide that's available at whenmountainscrumble.com. But it's um, just how to be a companion. And one of the things that I would say is most helpful is the ministry of presence. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just being present. Some people are going to need your company. Some people are going to need you to just drop something off at the door and not talk to them. Yeah. Like everyone's going to be, and that can change by the hour, to be honest. Mm-hmm. That's good. So, That's real. Yeah. 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 Just being, you know, in that communication and just having, I would say if you're, you know, you guys are both pastors. So having someone check in once a week, like, Hey, it, you know, how are things going? Because when the dryer dies and the, Mm. oven dies and the car <laughs> dies and you're grieving mm. you know it's it's already feels isolating so just to not have someone checking in like mm. okay how can what do you what do you need now mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. yeah that's so good um Danita, one of the things that i'm passionate about is the spiritual discipline and language of lament and i know that you write about mm-hmm. lament in the book can you for our listeners can you explain what lament is and how it actually helps people who are struggling with suffering and loss Yes, lament, I would say, is being honest with God about what is hard. So that's like Mm. the simplest, like, just be honest with God about how this is horrible. Um, I really believe that lament is what opens the door to let our comforter rush in. And it's kind of this lost art that the the church, um, most Christians I've met, have they're not even familiar with what is that like yeah. they haven't even heard the word yeah. and I, I believe it's our you know it's an ancient coping mechanism that god has given us that we've forgotten about hmm. and uh danita i i wonder too um you talk in the book about like the grief bomb and the grief like what's the process <laughs> been for you like and, and i wonder what it's still like now after a lot of time has passed i i imagine that uh, this is something you never get over. So help us understand kind of that long-term process. Yes. A grief bomb would be when uh, the first time I remember this was I was making spaghetti. I had no idea why um, I was bawling all of a sudden. Oh. I was finally like feeling good, like, right? Like I'm like, wow, I'm actually making like an actual dinner for my family tonight. <laughs> and then I'm like, <laughs> and I'm like laid out on the floor crying. And I realized, you know, that was, Spaghetti was the last meal I made that my husband was supposed to come home to. And And it just, my body knew before my brain could catch up. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that just, you know, that can happen anywhere, these triggers. And just um, kind of recognizing that that can happen. And then also just allowing that to be an invitation for healing instead of like, 
you know, shoving it all away. Like, no, I shouldn't be crying. Like, mm. just allowing it as an invitation from God. Like, hey, here's another place where I want to bring you some healing mm. today. And, you know, Danita, with that in mind, I, I'm thinking of our, our listeners maybe who are grieving or they're walking with someone who's grieving. Um, do you have any encouragement for them? Maybe a story about how God showed up for you in the middle of this devastating, horrifying thing or, or just a way you knew like, okay, God, you're, you're in this, even though I, I can't sense you. It, do you have something you could offer as an encouragement to our listeners? Yeah, I, I'm just remembering times when someone was just available to come and sit with me on the porch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I didn't need to talk. I didn't need to process. I didn't need to be fixed or rescued. I just needed someone to sit with me. Mm-hmm. And, um, that was such a beautiful, those moments were such a beautiful picture of really how God interacted with me during that time. He wasn't super talkative, but he was present mm-hmm. even, even when it didn't feel like it, you know, mm-hmm. I, I just still knew he was there. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I would say that that ministry of presence, again, is huge. Mm, ministry of presence. You can read more about that and about rebuilding your life after losing someone. Uh, if you can, if you find Danita Janae's book, it's called When Mountains Crumble. Again, rebuilding your life after losing someone you love. You can learn more about Danita and her book at DanitaJanae.com. And you can connect with her on Instagram at Danita Janae. Danita, thank you so much for being here with us and for pouring your heart out for our listeners. We really, really appreciate you and your vulnerability. Yeah, thank you, guys. Mm-hmm. This is great. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Aubrey Sampson alongside my co-host, Brian Fromm. It is the end of the show. And at the end of every show, we love to give you something encouraging, challenging, or inspiring Brian, I've been talking about this book a lot since we had this guest on the show, Felicia Wu Song's book. It's called Restless Devices, Recovering Personhood, Presence, and Place in the Digital Age. Everyone should be reading it. It is game-changing and life-changing. I love this book. Um, I've underlined the whole thing. In fact, we are in studio now, and I have the book in hand because there's something I want to read from it. Um, But I want to set it up for us a little bit first because one of the... The concepts that she's unpacking in her book is that in our quote unquote productive culture, meaning like we've got apps to increase our productivity, we've got calendars to increase our productivity, Mm -hmm. tools to increase our productivity, that in that we've actually become less productive because we've become less imaginative. We've become less still. She actually says we have not allowed ourselves to be bored and boredom is something really healthy for us because in boredom, our brains begin to awaken and get creative again. Mm. And we've lost a lot of that uh, really important brain formation by consistently filling up our time with our devices and our productivity and what we're doing next. And even if it's a fun app, that's not allowing ourselves to be bored. But she talks specifically about how this is changing our spiritual formation and says that there are three things that we have lost with our quote unquote productive culture. And Brian, I thought I would share these three things and then you and I can talk about them. We'll just go one at a time. Okay. Mm -hmm. The first one is this. She says, because when we are permanently connected, we have lost three key things. One is the hiddenness of God. She says, it's often easy to see the glory of God when we bear witness to the immense awesomeness of a vast landscape like the Grand Canyon or like Niagara Falls. 
when God's presence overwhelms our physical senses or when the Holy Spirit stuns us in clear and obvious ways, we need little convincing. She's talking about the prophet Elijah and how he heard the still small voice of Mm -hmm. God. And we find the hiddenness of God in a small flower peeking out of a rock in the desert, etc. But when we're constantly connected, constantly paying attention to our devices instead of the world around us, are we able to experience the hiddenness of God? She argues that we're not able to, that we actually, we miss out on, um, we miss out on being away, almost like Moses. We miss out on the burning bushes around us when we're so tied into our phones. What do you think about that? I think it's wonderful and it's difficult because it's the old tyranny of the urgent, right? Mm. Like everything about our life becomes what's, what's on my phone now? What's the email I yeah. got now? What's the text I got now? You, you and I talked a couple a week ago or so about awe and wonder mm. and the loss of awe and what that does to our faith. Awe is only grown in us, like you said, as we are disconnected, like Jesus in the wilderness, yeah, right? Like, yeah. As I'm contemplating the larger things of God, it's hard to have awe in my life when I'm constantly texting, emailing, playing yep. Wordle or whatever else it right. might be on my phone. <laughs> right. And uh, it be, those are not congruent with each other. Yeah. And I think a lot of us, the phone or the connection, as she talks about, wins out. Yeah, it, it definitely wins out. And one of the things that's interesting that she talks about in the book is that uh, we even the language we use, we keep saying we're so distracted, we're so distracted. She says we're actually not distracted. We are totally attentive to our phones, mm. but we are attending to the wrong thing. Yep, and so yep. in her life, she has some boundaries around her phones. We've talked about this on the show before, but, you know, after five, she puts her phone away, charge for the night. She doesn't pick it up until the next day. She even puts do not disturb on. She has a landline in case of emergency. Oh, wow. So but otherwise, so difficult. I know. Isn't that yes. wild? She also is not on social media. So that makes a difference, too. Okay. Another thing she says we've lost about God is holy interruptions. Mm. She talks about when our lives become so bent on maximizing productivity that we're filling every second of our day, we don't have time to be interrupted. People become annoying speed bumps <laughs> on the way. And then she talks about how the ministry of Jesus is strikingly marked by interruptions. You know, we know this. He's on his way somewhere. He gets stopped by somebody who wants healing or he's yes. on his way somewhere. He gets interrupted by something, but he always stops to tend to that person person's need and how we have perhaps lost Mm -hmm. interruption, holy interruption in uh, light of our quote unquote productivity. What do you think about that one? It's so hard. I was just reading the parable of Jesus and the, um, the 99 and the one, Mm. right. Where he talks about going to find the one and to be productive, focusing on 1%, right. On the one is really a bad model to go. Right. But, you know, the Christian life, whether it be in ministry or just like Christian life in general, is is like you said, a series of holy interruptions. It's yeah. seeing that person in need. Yeah. It's seeing the sin in my own life. It's whatever else it might be. And like she's arguing here to be constantly connected and running and productive in this night. You just you don't have time to look and everything right. else becomes an annoyance. Right. It's a bad sign. And I've been there and I'm I will be there again. It's a bad sign when other people become just annoyances to what you're trying to get it, done. Absolutely. That is a bad sign for all of us. If like we are annoyed with the person in front of us because we're busy looking at our yes, phones. I yes. think I think that's a word for all of us. OK, here's the other thing she says we've lost. And this goes back to what you were saying about awe and wonder. Bind. She says we've lost adoration. Adoration is a fairly alien notion for our modern sensibility. It might even feel a bit antiquated, somewhat medieval or even ancient, for it wants us to plumb a depth of consciousness and selflessness that feels a bit unseemly. Adoration is a word that might take us back to our adolescence when we were completely undone and mesmerized by our first crush. 
But then she says, and yet Christians sing this song every Christmas. Oh, come let us adore him. And basically she talks about how we cannot fix our attention on adoring God when it's so fixed on the phone. Yeah. Um, and so she, here's what she says. How can we then let ourselves get lost in the wonders of the natural world, an elegant mathematical equation or the beauty of music or a piece of art? How can we become people who dwell in such deep focus and self forgetfulness as to be capable of the adoration of God? Mm. So Brian, with that in mind, if you were, you know, teaching and I'm sure you have an awe and wonder and adoration to a, a very busy church, how would you impact that? Like, what would be your call to action? Like, how do you get back to adoration? No, I would start by saying I'm bad at this. Yeah, that's so real. I wouldn't want to speak from a pedestal here. I'd say, hey, I struggle. Let's let's discuss this together. I think here's what's the hard part, Aubrey. We like to be like have a new idea. And right, we like to, right. The answer is really simple, but really difficult. It's what she's talking about in the book. Put your phone away. Put your phone away. Like have some boundaries to yeah. your phone. Uh, go outside, go for a walk. Mm-hmm. Don't always be listening or watching something to have time when the f- TV is off. Like yeah. I, I am guilty as charged about having the TV on in the background at all times. Kind of that right? white and noise. you yep. just don't know why. Yep. Have moments where there's quiet, have moments where you can be thinking of the larger things of life. Mm-hmm. Read a book mm-hmm. like these types of things. It really comes down to we have to become we have to intentionally disconnect in ways that most yeah. of us aren't willing to do, yeah. myself included. Yep. And so I'd start by saying, I don't do this well, but let's all together, let's figure out ways to disconnect mm-hmm. and see, let's just see what it does in our lives. I almost wonder, I mean, it would be so good for our health if like a community of people were to be like, look, every, like I just said, every night, five o'clock, phones off, social media apps off, we're done. Or, yeah. or one day a week, like, Wednesday is our no social media day. And the, and that just became true of a community of people. I wonder if that kind of embracing the Sabbath so. together in that way would be would be really, really helpful. Here's one other thing she says, and then we'll end with this. She says she invites her students because she's a professor out in California to do one thing. Hmm. Take 30 minutes. This is what she does in her class, especially at the end of the year when finals are happening. She says her students' eyes are glossing over. She feels that they're so stressed. She says, I want you to take 30 minutes to leave my class right now. I want you to go sit in the grass, like be in nature, no phones. And I want you to answer these questions. What is my noise? Hmm. Why do I hurry? What crowds do I hide in? In my life, my top five distractions are... And then what would help me to change? That's really good. Silence, space, something else. What would help me? And she says, I used to think that um, I needed to give my students an hour to do that. And she said, I realized they are so distracted and so stressed out that even 30 minutes of space and silence uh, breathes new life mm. into them. So I think that's a good word for all. Let's take 30 minutes. That's right. Go outside, sit in the sunshine, turn off the noise. Attend to the things of God and see if that. Yeah, the goal is not help. to become a monk. The exactly. goal is not to become exactly. No, what are some simple steps to disconnect and get this kind yeah. of right in my life? Yeah, exactly. Well, uh, with that in mind, thanks so much for joining us today. We'll be back again tomorrow from four to six p.m. for Brian Fromm. I'm Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to the Common Good on AM eleven sixty. Hope for your life. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. And I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.